0: Welcome to episode four of Behold Her, a monthly podcast that shines a spotlight on women in the world of tabletop. I'm your host, Lisa Chen, and in this episode, we talk to eight guests who all carry the mantle of community manager for our favorite hobby, tabletop games. We'll chat with Brenna Noonan, the community manager for a family of board game companies and Polyhero Dice, about diversity and representation in board games. Then we interview a panel of female and non-binary moderators of the Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition Facebook group. Finally, we'll hear an essay from Petrina Ho, who champions the D&D Adventurers League community in Singapore, about how she creates a welcoming environment for all new players. But first, we're chatting with Darcy Ross, the Community Relations Coordinator for Monty Cook Games, which you might know for The Cypher System, Numenera, or No Thank You Evil. Darcy expounds on everything from her love of role-playing games, GMing, and even snails. I'm so excited to chat with you for Beholder.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really, really excited to be here.
0: You are renowned for your love (laughs) of super unique and interesting tabletop games. Tell me a little bit about how you got into tabletop as a hobby. I remember being
1: pretty young and having just, you know, this idea of D&D being in the ether around me. I I remember playing video games and reading a lot of fantasy books. And so I had this vague sense that D&D existed. And it always had this like mysterious allure to me. And I remember being uh, pretty young, uh, must have been junior high or younger. And I got my mitts on like a player's guide for D&D 3.0, perhaps. Of course, you can't, Play you don't that doesn't teach you how to play the game, but uh, I just studied that thing as long and as hard as I could, like this arcane tome, and ended up dragging my sister, my younger sister, and her girlfriend over for a who's over for a sleepover, and made them make characters and ran them through a dungeon that I made on graph paper without. Really, any understanding of the rules, and so that was my very first experience. And after that, I guess I just was always hooked on the idea of like the mystery and creating new stories, and uh, and so I, I dabbled a lot and was really ravenous to find games, find people who were willing to get me in on their games. And I and I dabbled through high school, played a little bit of Dungeons and Dragons. I encountered Call of Cthulhu and Warhammer. Um, from a boyfriend and, you know, sort of picked this experience slowly over time. And finally, I really got to deeply explore it in grad school just these last five years um, as I found a bunch of gamers who were as excited to game as I was. And so we played uh, a whole bunch of different systems. And I think everyone had this idea of, oh, we can bring in new games if I GM. And so we just have a plethora of jams over here and everyone's willing to try new things. Like I've run MADE, the RPG, and really tiny games like Lasers and Feelings. Our Our groups are just pretty big and diverse. And so there's always a group you can get together for some weird experience you're trying to have. So I've been really grateful to have a good community for that. And of course, the online community.
0: (laughs) What an amazing abundance. So many people ready to GM.
1: Yeah, I'm really lucky. I, I think a lot about how to produce that more often because I think, you know, more, you know, one of my major goals in life is just more GMs, right? More GMs means more games for everybody. And I think jamming is just such a joy for me. I I feel like I really like to encourage people to try it. So I'm always curious how we can better cultivate that.
0: (laughs) Um, That's so interesting. What is it about GMing versus being on the other side of the screen that you like so much?
1: There's a lot, but I think part of it is I, I love uh, collaboration and if I'm in the GM role, uh, I kind of get to turn that dial of how much collaboration we're having narratively in play. So uh, if I'm a player, I can't, you know, it's, it's kind of a jerk move for me to add more narrative than my role as a player technically allows. But as a GM, I can invite players to say, okay, so you've come upon this room and there's a tile uh, piece of art on the back wall. Uh, tell me about what it is. I'll point to a player, right? So I can, I, I have the control to open that door to bring in inspiration and better ideas for my players. And so I just loved the creative jamming that happens when as a GM, I'm just weaving together great ideas for my players.
0: That's really cool. I don't think that's necessarily a technique that all GMs use. Sometimes you feel like you're responsible for every single detail. right? But that's a really cool way, like you said, to make the game more collaborative, but also to give people a taste of being a GM, especially if that's one of your goals to recruit more
1: that is such a I have never thought about it that way but that is exactly right thank you so much for that that's a big insight yeah it's it's dipping your toes in to uh and and like I love getting to see how players I love getting to see what comes out of their heads right and I love them getting to see that their contributions are great right and like that's that's always such great fodder after the game to say hey I love your storytelling back there Will you please try GMing? Can I co-GM with you? I do a lot of co-GMing. Um, it's again, because I love the collaborative nature. That's a great point. I didn't realize I'd been subversively (laughs) (laughs) making them GM for me (laughs) because I'm lazy also. Do you
0: have, um, in your vast experience with all of these different games, do you have a favorite tabletop game or system?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, My favorite is probably Numenera. It was the game that I encountered at a Gen Con. It was the game that got me GMing. It was, you know, I, I, I hadn't GMed since that very first experience when I pulled Rules out of my butt and uh, ran a dungeon crawl <laughs> of sorts, uh, but then I, I saw Numenera, and you know I had a really good GM who who did some of that you know numenera uses the cipher system and it's it's very narrative and it invites players to share in that narrative in a couple ways and i had a really good gm who showed that off and it just blew my mind to to have those doors opened and to be asked to share in in this really wild world and as a biologist man you know numenera is just a fun playground of what kinds of life could exist right life and combinations of organic and inorganic that's just it's you know it's basically tailor-made for me and so that's always my favorite to go back to and to bring new people into um, which is why i'm so excited to have been hired by mcg oh my goodness yeah Um.
0: that's a good transition actually (laughs) how did your love of tabletop kind of lead you to monty cook games
1: I was at a Gen Con I think my first one. No, it was my it was my second one because I realized you had to sign up for things the second year. <laughs> Cause I just sort of bumbled into everything. Uh, and and I had heard about the the spiritual successor to Planescape Torment, uh, an old video game that I really, really loved, uh, based on the uh, Planescape setting for Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition. So I loved this video game. It was getting a spiritual successor called Numenera Torment. And then I find out Numenera is... So I was immediately in, and I knew it had the sense of weird that I appreciated. And then I heard about Numenera, the tabletop game. And so I was trying out... I, I kind of had picked some events that year to try out different systems. Uh, I know I also tried out 13th Age, and I really thought that was the one that was going to, you know, be, be my game that I, I would really fall in love with. And then I played Numenera, and I was just hooked. And so, um, yeah, from, from there, I... I guess I was, you know, I I loved the game so much. I knew no one would run it unless I did. And so I learned a GM and I just fell in love with the community too, right? So I started talking on forums and uh, going on podcasts that were starting up and just demoing a lot. And I, you know, the community that sprung up around it, um, I think partly because it has, you know, Shauna Germain, who's a woman sort of as a creator in, in that world that already kind of selects for people who are comfortable playing games by uh, women creators or who don't have any issues with that. And the art is full of people of color and it has queer characters who are good and bad and ambiguous in the text. And so the community that rises around that to support it is inherently more, uh, open to being inclusive and welcoming of different kinds of people. And so I just fell in love with the community and, uh, yeah, I just can't stop talking about it, obviously. (laughs) And so uh, a a position opened up, let's see, last summer, and they were looking for a new community relations coordinator. And I was at the end of my PhD wondering what on earth I was going to do with my life. And uh, it all kind of came together.
0: That's so amazing. (laughs) Can you tell me a little bit more about your role as the community relations coordinator? And what does that exactly does that entail for you?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I hope other people who are in similar roles to me reach out after this because I think it's a it's a strange role and I would love to have more of a community of people who are trying to do what I'm trying to do. Um I feel a little bit that it's, I'm a Swiss Army knife. There's a lot of different things that uh, fall under my purview, but I'm, I'm kind of a, a face to the company in a way where I'm working with social media. I'm uh, trying to work with the communities that spring up around our products and, uh, you know, podcasters and fan content. You know, I'm trying to keep abreast of that and support it however I can. So I've got that kind of going. I uh, organize our demo team, which is really fabulous, full of great people. And we're always looking for new great people. Uh, so, sort of, fans who are interested in helping us promote our products and bring new people into the systems and uh, things like that. But then I'm also, you know, working kind of my my baby project when I joined was to, to really get our Twitch stream started. So we were, you know, we were interested in how people are engaging differently with RPGs in loving to see them get played and, and interact with that. And so I have been spending many months teaching myself how to do any of that technically, let alone performance wise. Uh so we've we've launched uh we did a pre-recorded Invisible Sun stream that uh is almost reaching its finale now, uh at the time of this recording, as we dole it out, including uh live content in between episodes and everybody chats live, which is really fun. And then we've had a, a Numenera live campaign, which I just finished last night, yay! And uh and a number of like I, I really we're throwing a lot of spaghetti at the wall here, right? Like, what do people want to see from us, from our games, or from other people in the community writ large? So I'm really interested in bringing in, you know, people to talk about their experiences as streamers, whether or not they do Cypher System, to bring in artists and have, you know, kind of draw that curtain back of like the mysterious process of how RPGs get made and, um, how our creatives work. And, and, you know, I just think it's such a great accessible platform for people as opposed to just talking about it at a panel at a convention or something, right? We can reach people who can't travel to conventions and um, get interaction with the creators for people who live halfway around the world. So I, I really like that aspect. Yeah. Of and that's it.
0: really, people love seeing how their favorite things get made. Oh totally. And
1: and to ask their questions, right? And get get that response and and just get to hear, you know, Bruce Cordell wax poetic about something he's really passionate about, you know. Those are the kind of moments I'm tr- we're trying to to create and put out there. But it's still very much an experiment. So we will see what continues to happen and how it changes, but it's it's a, it's been really satisfying to get to shepherd that into existence. It it stokes my need for like learning new stuff all the time and and creatively thinking of new
0: ways to do something. What would you say is has been the most challenging aspect of being a community manager?
1: Ooh, that is such a good question. Huff. Um, I can think of a lot, you know. I found it very challenging, but in, in a in a satisfying way. And luckily MCG is so supportive. I could not have asked for better. I I did not know working conditions could include such support. So that was amazing. But, I, you know, dealing with negativity is really hard. I, I feel like I take it really personally and I'm I'm hurt if someone feels like they've been let down or if, uh, if someone's saying, you know, just negative, horrible, toxic things. Um, like, you know, Sha- Shauna is a woman creator and that can be really tough uh, in certain climates, right? Um, we're currently running the a reprint Kickstarter for No Thank You Evil, our kids and family game. And uh, and there's been a lot of talk lately about, you know, supporting women creators. And so we're like, did you know Shauna is the lead designer on this? And immediately, you know, trolls come out of the woodwork to say, well, you know, you should only evaluate a game based on its, its inherent value, et cetera, as though that weren't something you could also do. Like it's an award-winning game, right? It, and luckily... So I find I find that stuff really beats me up um sort of the negativity but like our community is so great right that community that got me here in the first place like will jump in to just artfully diffuse situations for me and and do the kind of advocacy that feels mm-hmm. weird coming from an official entity so having a community that already has values that we appreciate really mitigates that I would say one other thing if I can say two things that are hard <laughs> You know, I, I guess my job is to think about ways we could grow and people we haven't reached and new things we can do with these people. And so I feel like my work is never done, right? There's like, there's always more I could be doing. And I always feel so bad when I, you know, can't follow through on a cool project idea because I am finite, tragically, <laughs> and I have to sleep. And that's uh, very inconvenient. But uh, so, I, yeah, I, I feel like the I'm always sad to leave things that I could have done undone.
0: What would you say are the best parts of your job?
1: I get to interact with amazing people all the time. You know, uh, I love hearing from like parents uh, who are kind of new to gaming too, right? Especially this like parents and uh, adults just who are like, finding our games or finding rpgs for the first time and talking about what it means to them that just like gets me right in the feels and i love when it can be cypher right or i love when someone finds that kind of goldilocks zone just like i did of like you know this system is what i've been waiting for this you know or seeing these queer characters in the setting guide made me cry i'm like "Ah," you know i get really emotional about that so i guess like seeing the way that uh, our games positively impact people. And and I really get to see those first, right? Because I get to be part of that community um, so easily. That's That brings me joy so hard every day. Um, and, and so I, those just fuel me forever, I think. That's my, probably my favorite, just getting to see joy on other people's faces and ways it's helped them.
0: So what has it meant for you being a woman in this role? And what have your experiences been like as a woman in this hobby?
1: Ooh, so especially in this role, you know, sometimes I'm masked, right? Sometimes I am the uh, faceless (laughs) monolith that is the MCG official, like voice, right? And or social media account. And so, in those ways, uh, you know, that's not really where I see it. But if I go to a convention or if I'm at, um, you know, other professional functions, sometimes I can feel. You know, overall, my experiences have been pretty good. People are pretty respectful. I have, you know, the insignia of MCG, and and that can go a long way. Or lots of people have personal relationships with me because I've been a part of the community, and that goes a long way. Um, but every once in a while, you know, I'm I'm a little on the younger end, and so sometimes people have these like misconceptions of me that that I I'm really that I really don't know my stuff, and. Um, And I do know my stuff, but I've had to learn the distinction between people who, like, they don't actually want to hear my credentials. You know, people who are like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, Darcy. Uh, Go play some second edition. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I run it. (laughs) What of it? Uh, Those people don't want to hear the facts, right? And so I have to find ways to, like, not engage for people who don't care to, you know, it, where it's not gonna make a difference, and instead talk to the people around them who are listening to my points or, you know, listening to the data I have to present. Um, so that's been a little tough, but I, I w- haven't encountered it as much as I worried I would. So I, I would say that's been pretty good. And of course, like, you know, MCG has no interest in tolerating any of that sort of stuff. So I've never, I'm really grateful I'm not asked to, like, on a professional level, put up with um, any kind of negative things people are trying to to do to me or, you know, if someone's being sexist at me, I think MCG is like, that is not worth our sale, like that, you know, your, your identity and your safety and uh, fulfillment is more important to us than, you know, like inclusivity is such a part of their core values that I never feel like I have to compromise or let myself be talked over um, on their behalf. And that's really
0: satisfying. I love
1: them. Yeah, I'm so lucky. I cannot recommend enough interacting with them. They're good people.
0: So as we wind down, was there anything that I didn't ask you about that you really wanted to talk about? Gosh. Um,
1: Well, I mean, it's my favorite game and Numenera is getting a new core book set uh, so it's it's getting the the original core book is getting revised and added all this cool stuff and new options. So that makes my heart sing. But it's also getting a a second book. So. And this just like this exists at the core of what Darcy's about, right? So Numenera is a billion years in the future, science fantasy place. And it is a game that asks you to go explore a strange earth unlike you've ever seen and discover cool things. And, you know, as a scientist and as a curious person, all thumbs up. But Numenera, so that's going to be Numenera Discovery, the the one core book. Numenera Destiny is going to be a whole new core book about, okay, so you've went out and discovered incredible truths and secrets and and powerful artifacts of the past so advanced as to seem like magic. What do you do with that now? How do you make the ninth world, the existing world, a better place? It's all about growing a community and caring about people. And I'm getting chills talking about it because it just, it feels like such an important topic right now, you know, like the world. How can we take what our, our privileges and our assets and our tools and what, you know, what we have to bear, what we've gained, and how can we use that to make the world and other people better? And man, to get to play that out at an RPG level is like, um, it's everything I've wanted. So I, I can't wait for that to land this summer and for to get to play it and, you know, see how those themes that I care about so much in the real world get to play out over stories and reinforce the ways we can think about um, improving our communities and our, and our uh, society.
0: Oh, I'm smiling super big because that sounds so fun.
1: I can't wait and it's gonna have weird creatures and everything I love about uh, you know just the game too other than the sort of bigger message, but I, I think it's going to be really fun. It's got crafting and community, working with large scale people and and seeing time pass, right? I am really excited. So if people want to find you on social media, how can they do that? For all Monty Cook Games things, we're usually on all the social medias uh, at Monty Cook Games, M-O-T-N-T-E-C-O-O-K Games. And so that's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and G Plus as well. Um, our Twitch is also there and YouTube. So if you go to YouTube slash Cook Games or twitch.tv slash Cook Games, you can see all the cool new video content we're exploring. And uh, we would love if you came and watched and, and subscribed there. And for for my own personal stuff, again, I'm sort of a uncreative, use one username across all things. Darcy L. Ross will get you most places. I'm pretty active on Twitter. And uh, I do warn you that I come from a science background and I worked on snails and all sorts of squeaky creatures that I love. So I am about a half RPGs and half strange creatures and videos of manta rays and uh, lots of snails, so beware.
0: I am <laughs> there for the snail yeah. content. I used to have a pet snail and they are so cool oh and fun goodness. little weirdos. Oh goodness. Her name was Grace and oh. she would like crawl up on the aquarium tube and then it would blow her up and she'd be like levitating for oh a my little bit, and then she'd fall and then she'd just crawl back up and do it again and she was so cute.
1: <laughs> Those snails have such good faces with their yeah. big... You know, mouths and siphon. They're so cute. Oh, the well, siphon
0: siphoning is adorable. Oh my gosh, is it not the cutest? So, we should... for pe- the, so my uh. podcast is about snails now. Um, yes. <laughs> they crawl up to like almost the top of the water, and then like a straw comes out of their body. Yep. And then their Yuck. entire body does this like chugging motion. Oh. It looks like they're just like rocking back and forth, and their face gets all screwed up. Snails are real. Oh, it's
1: so goofy. Um, Have you ever seen a jumping snail, conches, like queen conches, literally leap through the water and it is the goofiest, scariest thing I ever
0: saw. I'm going to go look that up on YouTube right after Google that. (laughs) So that was our snail interlude. Thanks so much for coming to, to chat about all the amazing things that you do. If you're enjoying Behold Her so far and want to make it even better, visit the submission section of BeholdHerPodcast.com, suggest guests who you'd love to hear interviewed on future episodes, or if you're a woman in Tabletop RPG, tell us your story, submit an audio essay. Topics for future episodes are listed on the submissions page. Brenna Noonan creates Board Games as the brand manager for Starling Games and its sister companies. She wears many hats, developing new board game concepts and managing Kickstarters of plenty. You might also know her from her work with Polyhero Dice, uniquely shaped dice sets inspired by iconic RPG classes. All right, Brenna, I'm so excited to be chatting with you for Beholder Podcast.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so so excited to be a part of it. I was, you know, so happy to see that you were doing this on Twitter. To start us off, how do you get into gaming as a hobby? I grew up gaming, um, like in the '90s, doing text based old-school, like forum RPGs and stuff. That's um, that was kind of my introduction, and then got into more console gaming. Uh, the Nintendo 64 is my first console, and was, you know, a pretty hardcore video gamer for several years. And then um, about four or five years ago, started getting really into the tabletop side of things. Started playing D and D, getting more interested in um, also more indie RPGs after that, and then. Uh, About a year ago, I started uh, working in the tabletop industry.
0: Is there a game or a moment that you remember where you were like, yeah, this tabletop RPG thing is for me?
2: Probably my first D&D campaign. I was, (laughs) I had read the Drist books um, and I decided to play a a drow ranger. And as I was making my ranger, I just had all these ideas and I was kind of, like, too beholden to the books when I first started, like, didn't feel like I really had the freedom to go outside of those, and I had this idea that I wanted my animal companion to be a death dog, Ooh. and my, <laughs> my DM uh, at the time was so wonderful, and he, like, allowed me to do that and worked with me um, to make that work in the game, and I think, like, that realization that, like, yeah, I have these rules, but I can kind of bend them, um, I was like, all right, I'm 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 really into this. <laughs>
0: So now you actually work in the tabletop industry. Do you mind sharing a bit
2: about uh, what your roles are and what exactly it is you do? I work um, for a family of games called Starling Games, um, Flying Meeple, Sparkworks, and then Polyhero Dice. Those first three are board gaming companies and the Three different imprints range from like really heavy strategy, Euro games, um, to more casual family or party games, and then children's games. And then the polyhero dice are a set of themed polyhedral dice that you can use for role-playing. I wear a lot of different hats <laughs> doing this work. I do our marketing, so I do like brand management, um, also community management. Uh, all of our outreach, social media. I also do internal uh, creative development. I do. I go to conventions. I scout new projects. So, um, you know, part of what we do is publishing. So, I'm looking for new games to sign and for us to develop. So, it's pretty pretty wide ranging. We're a small team.
0: <laughs> yeah, small teams. You do end up wearing lots of hats. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite aspect of what you do?
2: I love connecting with the community. So the community management part is great, although not without its challenges. And then the uh, internal development is really awesome. Um, You know, being able to work with the designer and help them, you know, they may have this really wonderful, like raw idea, um, and then work with them to kind of shape that and bring it to the next level and uh, see it come to fruition is super satisfying.
0: Where do you draw your inspiration in that process? Like when you're sitting down with a new concept with a designer, what goes through your brain?
2: The inspiration is kind of an interesting part of it, because I've been kind of like a ravenous consumer, I guess. (laughs) Um, Like I've, (laughs) I've played so many games and read so many books and seen so many movies that, you know, on the one hand, I feel like I have an endless well of inspiration to draw from, and then on the other hand, I feel like it, it's a negative because I feel like everything I do is derivative. <laughs> so it's it's difficult to find that balance between finding inspiration but then also like edifying it as your own idea and making it original. Um, so I try to like be informed by these sources that I've drawn from over the years, but you know still try to let my own inspiration come through. So it's a tough balance to find.
0: You mentioned that you're also a community manager. Can you tell me a little bit about that part of your
2: role? One of the big things that we do um, in our company is we run Kickstarter campaigns. And so I, I run the Kickstarters and then I'm also um, you know, on there every day uh, talking to the backers online updating them, um, gathering their ideas. I'm also talking to them on social media. And then, you know, at conventions, it's great to uh, get to meet some of those people that maybe, you know, I've been chatting online with for like a year uh, to finally meet them is really awesome. So it's kind of like uh, I... Sort of liaise between the backers and then um, the rest of the creative team. I try to gather their comments, criticism, suggestions, um, and kind of distill that into something that I can present to the rest of the team and let them know like how things are going, how we're being perceived, like what the public perception of the project is at that time, or if like there's something people really want to see that they're not getting from us, if there's a way for us to implement that, and then also you know on the other end. Translating what we're doing on the creative side or the logistical side and presenting that in a way um, for the backers to consume and, you know, feel like they're part of the process as well.
0: I imagine you have a lot of different voices that you kind of have to parse out. Uh, I know you mentioned offline that that can sometimes be
2: challenging. Yeah, so I'll say... Uh... <laughs> I'm still, uh, yeah, I talk about like self-care for community managers a lot. And, you know, I always say like, hug your local community manager, uh, obviously with their permission, because they're probably having a tough day. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's, it's an incredibly like satisfying job. And for somebody who's like a social introvert, like me, the internet is kind of the perfect place to do this kind of work, because I can like, talk and engage with people and be social, like, not worrying about like, where I'm like what I'm doing with my hands or something. So it's tough to strike that balance of trying to like be kind of the face and like the representative of the company and, um, you know, like give people access to you as a person, but also maintaining like professional boundaries, like maintaining some of your privacy, I guess. I've definitely had people who have maybe crossed that boundary and who try to like Friend me on Facebook or have been made inappropriate comments to me at a convention or something like that. And it's like, on the one hand, that person is still part of your community. You want to support them, but you also have to like set that boundary and say, like, you know, that's a line (laughs) uh, that you can't cross. I I deal with that on my Twitter sometimes because I keep my Facebook pretty much um, like just for people that I know IRL basically. But then my Twitter is uh, totally public and, you know, I love interacting with people on there, uh, meeting people on there. Obviously I got connected with you and behold her uh, via Twitter. So it's tough to reconcile like that public, that public face, but then also maintain some of like your own private space because you want to give so much of yourself to the community and like give them that access and feel like you can kind of be a lifeline for these people. uh, But also like maintaining um, your own identity through that process. Are there other like particular tips that you have? I mean, it sounds like common sense stuff, but it's honestly really difficult to do. Um, I I actually read this really interesting article the other day by this woman, um, her name's Dr. Linda Stone. And she talks about something called email apnea, which is like, for people who get a really high volume of um, correspondences that's kind of like a high stress level of correspondence, which I think community management Mm -hmm. is because so many people have access to you. You actually get like a fight or flight response when you open your email inbox. And she actually discovered that people will be like scrolling through their email, um, like subconsciously holding their breath um, because that response is being activated. And so since I read that, I've like really been trying to pay attention to like how I physically react uh, when I'm, you know, going through my emails every day, and if I'm like dealing with a particularly difficult correspondence, so you know, sometimes it's a matter of just like taking thirty seconds and taking a deep breath and reminding yourself to breathe. You know, taking a quick break, like every hour, every couple hours, not eating lunch at your desk every day. <laughs> when your coworkers ask you to go get coffee, you know, like go with them. <laughs> it's really like what I mostly struggle with is shutting off. You know, there's that saying like social never sleeps. And it's really true because we work with people all over the world. I don't like feeling like I'm out of touch with them. Um, but sometimes, you know, you just have to say like, OK, I'm going offline for the night. Like I'm going to go home and eat dinner and like not check my email. So sometimes it's a matter of me like going home and I'll actually like leave my phone in a different room because I know that if I have it, I'll just be checking my email like compulsively. So for me, it's really like about setting personal boundaries, not overworking myself, like burnout is such a problem for people that work in community management, I think, um, because of that, like, nonstop stream of access that you have to people and like the need to always be following up immediately, because that's kind of what people expect now. But at some level, like when you're working for a small company, and you're you're the only one doing this like that, it's not always possible to do that. Like we do have to sleep at some point. (laughs) Uh,
0: Not only are you doing uh, community managing and development for a number of different games, uh, you also happen to be doing this as a woman
2: in the gaming industry. Uh, Can you tell me about what your experience has been? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'd say it's largely been um, really positive, which I understand is uh, not the case for everybody. And I'm like, I'm sure that my... Various privileges have gone into me having a more positive experience than a lot of people. So, you know, I try to be aware of that. And when I I say that, like, oh, yeah, everything's great, it's like I'm approaching that as like a white cis woman. So uh, I understand that that may not be the case for everybody. For me personally, it's been mostly really positive. I think in general, tabletop and board gamers are maybe more tolerant of women in a quote unquote their space than video gamers are just... Like, from how I've observed it, it is, it's is—it's still not, like, an even playing field by any means. What I found is that, like, board and tabletop gamers are pretty welcoming to women, like, coming to their gaming tables and are supportive of that. But if you try to, like, point out any type of, like, inequality, then they get very defensive because they're like, oh, well, look how mm-hmm. welcoming I'm being. Like, I'm allowing you to be at my table. And it's like, mm. <laughs> well... I don't know about that. Um, And there's still a lot of issues, um, obviously, in board and tabletop games with like really over-sexualized women and seeing like maybe only one type of woman and calling people out on that, you know, is still like a very uncomfortable process. Like a lot of people still don't want to hear that criticism, whereas like I believe very firmly (laughs) in calling that out. It's been generally really positive. Like I haven't really felt a lot of negativity like directed at me. Uh, But I I feel it, like, ambiently in the community, I guess, um, just by virtue of, like, entrenched patriarchy. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I mean, you bring up a good point that I'm very lucky in that most of my experience has been really, really positive. But then you do get that interesting phenomenon that if you do want to, like, point out a situation that's maybe uncomfortable or doesn't seem equal, uh, that there is that uncomfortable Mm -hmm. vibe. uh, Because you don't want the people
2: to take it personally. Yeah. And I think um, sometimes a lot of times like due to that women, it's harder for women to speak out about those things. Because once you feel like you're in, um, you don't want to alienate people. You know, sometimes calling those things out will end up alienating people because some people just like don't want to acknowledge that that's an issue. So you know, it's really tricky to navigate those waters of, you know, trying to be part of the community and you know, wanting to participate, but then also like trying to stay true to your ideals and, you know, seeing something that you feel is wrong and that needs to be addressed when maybe other people don't want to acknowledge that.
0: Um. So uh, let's go back to uh, just some of the things you do. Do you have any projects on the horizon that folks should know about?
2: Yeah, so um, we uh, just had our Kickstarter uh, for this game, Everdell, um, which I co-developed. That Kickstarter did really well, which is really exciting to see. It's this really cute worker placement a tab- uh, tableau building game that involves uh, like Redwall style woodland creatures. Also with the polyhero dice, we just uh, had our Kickstarter for our rogue set. So if you're not familiar, these are um, like polyhedral dice, but they're all themed to look like d classes or general fantasy classes, I guess. The rogue dice, we have like a D20 lock and pick. We have uh, like D6 short swords, uh, poison vials, uh, daggers, things like that. So we also have like the wizard and warrior dice as well. So this will be our third set. Uh, So those are all just projects we have down the pipeline, getting those into production and, you know, hopefully getting them out to our Kickstarter backers soon. Apart from uh, my day job, I guess, I also just recently started um, writing an RPG just like on the side, which I probably can't say too much about because it's like very early stages. That's something that I've kind of always wanted to do. Uh, There's just, like so many amazing indie RPGs out there right now, Um, like Spire and Sigmata and Eclipse Phase, like all RPGs that I love so much. I hope that I can (laughs) uh, create something to kind of add to that canon. It's just um, me and my writing partner. We can really just like have our vision out there without any like interference or through any kind of filter so I'm really really looking forward to that that's really
0: cool is there anything else you can tell us about it or is it like lip sealed right now
2: it's pretty lip sealed right now I was actually just like um I was texting him last night like hey do you mind if I mention the thing and he was like "Uh, (laughs) uh, be really vague before we sign off here is
0: there anything I haven't asked you that you'd like to talk about
2: I guess we touched on it a little bit but um, diversity in board and tabletop gaming I'm using diversity in like a very broad sense so talking about like like showing different bodies different races um, different genders different levels of um, like able-bodiedness I it's just like I think just so vitally important and I I try to just <laughs> strive for that in my own work, and you know, just like most other people, there's there's always more work to be done there. Um, but I'm I feel really lucky lucky to um, work with the team that I do because they all feel similarly to me. And you know, when I say like, <laughs> oh well, what if we you know had a queer character? Like, what if we you know like change the race of this character um, so we have like more characters of color in the story? Like, they don't roll their eyes at me, and they're like, oh yeah, like great, let's do that. that's amazing yeah so I so I feel like so thankful um to to have that support from the team that I work with because I'm sure a lot of people do not it sometimes feels difficult like working specifically in board games because it's uh like a little bit more of a static medium I guess like a character may only exist on a card Mm -hmm. um so there are some ways that it's like bringing representation to that can be difficult because it's like well, how do I show that this character is queer besides like slapping a rainbow pin on them or something? (laughs) Um, So uh, what we've actually started doing, um, Everdell will be the first game that we're doing this with, is in our rule books, we're actually filling them with like thematic uh, flavor text. So, like in Everdell, we're going to have like journal entries from the characters in the game and like letters between them and just like little snippets from like everyday life in Everdell. And so we're I think we're probably going to start doing that more for our games going forward to try to give some more depth to these characters and be able to um, show them more and hopefully be able to, you know, tell people like, you know, we, we see you and like <laughs> it's it's difficult to, you know, have these things exist on a card. But hopefully we can, you know, give enough background to the world, to the story that, you know, we have that kind of visibility and um, that we're being inclusive.
0: If people want to learn more about what you are doing or uh, maybe hear when that Kickstarter for the RPG happens, how can they find you?
2: Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Brenna Noonan, Brennanoonan, B-R-E-N-N-A-N-O-O-N-A-N, um, or on my website, www.brennanoonan.com. You can also find us online um, at Starling Games or at Polyhero. You can keep up with us there as well.
0: The Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition group on Facebook boasts nearly 125,000 members and has seen rapid growth with the increasing popularity of D&D. Wrangling a community that size and ensuring it is welcoming to all new members of the hobby is quite a feat. I chatted with Paige Lightman, Anne Thornton, Junyin Gan, Mimsy Dorsey, and Kate Bridges about what it's like as a female or non-binary moderator for the group. I am here with five of the 22 moderators for the Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition Facebook group with over 120,000 members. Uh, They have quite a job to do. Uh, To start us off, how
3: about we'll go around and everyone introduce yourselves, say your name. Hi there. My name is Paige Lightman. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, USA, and my husband and I help organize local conventions uh, for a few years now, we've been the organizers for DragonCon, which has about 2,000 D&D players. We also write D&D content, both for the convention-created content program and for Adventures League. You can find me on Twitter at, at @pageleitman. L E I T M A N.
4: I'm Anne Thornton. I'm the lone Canadian in the moderator group right now. I have been playing D&D solidly for the last five years, logging well over a thousand hours playing and running. I was first-blooded, though, 30 years ago as a tween in the 80s with a Ravenloft, and I've had a passion for role-playing ever since.
5: My name is June Gan. I live in Singapore. I've been playing for two years and three days, and we started with the starter set back with uh, my group in Malaysia. Outside of uh, the D&D Facebook group, I don't really do much in the wider community apart from play a little bit of AL. Something interesting about me is I just ran my first Spartan race a couple of weeks ago.
6: My name is Mimsy Dorsey, I'm one of the newer mods for the 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons group. I started playing D&D about a year and a half ago and have already gathered 52 sets of dice and more on the way. I'm usually in the social justice and LGBT and inclusion posts, so people mostly know me from there regardless of if they love me or hate me for it.
7: I'm Kate Bridges. I'm the newest mod, she pronouns. Currently, I'm a freelance artist. Before that, I managed a couple different comic shops throughout the past decade, (laughs) so um, I'm no stranger to nerd-adjacent hobbies here.
0: Uh, So hearing all of you introduce yourselves, I can definitely tell that there's a lot of passion for Dungeons & Dragons in this group. Can you all tell me, how did you find yourselves taking on this mantle of uh, being a moderator? Uh, And what is it about the group that motivates you to keep doing what you're doing?
3: I ended up being a moderator because I was super noisy in the group. I was in the group, I was commenting on posts. I was tagging moderators when stuff was going off the rails. And I think at some point they kind of figured they might as well co-opt me because I was in there doing the work anyway. And what keeps me going is that I am heavily invested in creating an online space for the 5e community that is very welcoming to new players. Uh, My secret agenda, which is not very secret, is that I want more people enjoying more d d And this is a great way to reach out to a lot of new players who are like, hey, I've seen Critical Role, or I saw it on Stranger Things, or I used to play back in the 70s and I hadn't played 30 years. I just want more information about what's going on with D&D right now. I want this group to be the first place they go.
0: Anne, you mentioned that you've been with the group for quite a while as well. How did you find yourself being a moderator?
4: I was just really passionate about learning and teaching and passing on the information, um, trying to make the group a welcoming place. And and really, it was the best of the fifth edition groups, the multitude that were out there. I was really active in Adventurers League in my community, and that was was growing by leaps and bounds and I was involved in the uh, the adventurers league group but I found myself spending more and more time in our 5th edition group like it took us uh what Two years, three years to get to 20,000 members. And then when we hit that, that seemed to be a critical point, um, critical mass for Facebook to start broadcasting us. And it took us less than a year, or it took just about a year to get to 100,000 members. And it was about the 40,000 member mark when I was really upping my game and helping out the, the admins and stuff like that. And then I saw a page coming up and and I could see, she's at a like, forefront paladin out there, but she was getting a lot of flack. And it was like, wow, there's a woman and she is working so hard. So it was empowering for me to see her out there, but I could also see she needed, you know, somebody like another wingman or wingwoman. So it was like, I said, well, Paige, anytime you need me, I'm ready and willing to uh, take up my sword and (laughs) join alongside you. And yeah, it's, uh, it's really important to be the welcoming place, to be the inclusive place, because there are so many places online, especially that are just
0: hostile. Totally. And changing a culture of a group is such a challenge, certainly a little bit less challenge when you're supported by other people with the same vision. Uh, Mimsy, how did you join the group as a moderator?
6: Well, as I said in my intro, I'm very involved in the inclusion posts, even before I was a mod. um, A different mod, Socor, reached out to me asking if I was interested in becoming a moderator. Um, I was terrified and said no. And then I spoke to some other moderators who said that although they knew that it could be a stressful position, they supported me joining if I wanted to. Um, and after reach, I reached out to one admin who I don't think ever saw my message, at least not in time, because busy admins living busy lives. And he didn't respond. And I was, like, devastated. And then I reached out to another admin. And he was like, oh, yeah, we'll add you to the list. And I was like, okay, it's a thing that could potentially happen in the future. I never have to worry about it. A month later, they're like, hello, Mimsy, please become a mod. So I did.
5: My kind of pathway into modship uh, started off quite similar to Mimsy, I guess. I'd only been in the group like, yeah, six or seven months. And then um, Nacho, our Spanish mod, actually uh, messaged me as well. Both Nacho and Mimsy did. And it was quite interesting because with Nacho, I had more of a conversation about, you know, what the... Uh, quote unquote job entailed and it was more about how to manage people and what the tools were for doing that and with Paige it was more like are you sure you're ready for this mentally because just as a woman generally on the internet it's hard to get across to some people Um, so it was it was interesting that I had that different perspective from two well two mods but two very very different perspectives of the same job Mm -hmm. Uh, and Kate,
0: if I'm remembering correctly, you are a relatively new moderator in the group. How did they rope you in? Uh, well, I've actually had mod duties for,
7: I think about a week. <laughs> so yeah, I'm certainly the newest. like i've I've mostly been lurking on the group for a while, uh, maybe commenting here and there, but I made a post uh, just asking about like some different DD podcasts or web series with uh, female. Uh, dungeon masters and (laughs) as could be expected that thread ended up getting a lot of you know a few rude dudes in there (laughs) and then it was nacho actually that reached out to me he didn't ask me to be a mod but um yeah we were just like uh complaining about you know some of the like uh regressive behavior with sexist dudes and I was like, if if y'all need help, you know, I've got a lot of free time right now.
0: (laughs) How sad it is, right? That I didn't like blank or whatever the phrase would be to your saying like as you would expect there are a few rude dudes right that's the reality that we're in um and that leads well into the next question what are some of the challenges you guys face as moderators
4: we need to talk about Paige's um asbestos panties that she hauls on (laughs) one leg at a time every morning and has uh, i'm sure she has special ones on special order for (laughs) each of us that's what you need because you do become a uh, bit more of a target. Uh, you, If you come in with a ruling uh, trying to moderate uh, or offering an explanation, your opinion gets questioned most of the time. You have to defend yourself. And if you come out with confidence and so on, you'll... It it will become inevitable that you're getting called names or, I mean, bugged over PMs and stuff. So it does take, well, as I phrased it to several uh, women coming into D&D on a local level, it takes a strange woman to sit down at a table with a bunch of strange guys. Uh, And those dual senses that that you have to uh, have the courage and confidence to do that especially as a moderator because you are going out there and people, the more they're on the internet, the more anonymous their commentary can be, the more likely they are to bring the ugliest side of their personalities into it. And all of their fears and misunderstandings and ignorance come to the forefront. Now, I mean, there's so much good and beautiful and creative stuff on that. And that's the majority of what we have. The ugly 2%, those rude dudes are noisy enough that uh, yeah, it, it does take asbestos panties or guts of steel some days to to deal with that additional workload as uh, a woman or non-binary or non-dude, I guess I should say. Um,
3: Paige, do you have something to tell me about asbestos panties? So it's it's so as a woman moderator, you get stuff said to you by this group of 120 almost 5,000 people that no one should ever say to anybody. Content warning, rape threats. So I've been threatened with terrible things that I'm not going to repeat on your show, Uh, but people have gone to my Twitter, my email, whatever, to find me and tell me how angry they are that I have removed their ability to comment on the 5E group because they were a jerk. I am very concerned about any person putting themselves in that place as a moderator on this forum because not everybody has a temperament where they can take that, you know, put their shield arm up, hit it with the shield, and keep on going. That's one of my gifts. That's something I could do. And the joke is that I have asbestos panties every morning so I don't catch on fire from the hate. And it's it's just part of the job, which is why I was very concerned uh, with any of our women moderators and NB moderators that come on because that's a terrible thing. That's a, just a terrible thing. I want to kind of give this a positive spin. 90% of the community is great. 90% of the posts we get each week are great. 8% are annoying, slightly inappropriate or creepy. 2% are huge problems. But that 2% is over 2,000 people in the group or over 40 posts a week. And that is a lot to manage. Just volume is our greatest enemy. We also get the Problem with there are jerks who will not listen to a woman tell them a rule on our forum. And we have to call in a male moderator to talk to them because it's just not worth it. It's infuriating. Another problem, problem three, is that we get some real fragile men on this group. Their masculinity is so fragile that they come unglued when people mention LGBT plus stuff or women's or POC issues. I'm on problem four, I guess, now. Problem four is popper's paradox we do not tolerate intolerance you there's no place for it in this group there's no place for it in dungeons and dragons everybody from the staff at Watsy to the al admins to matt mercer has said it has got no place in this game but we get some ugly pushback on it but we we aren't going to mend on that point
0: yeah it definitely takes like a strong personality to be able to persevere with some of the stuff y'all have to put up with. Uh, Kate, do you have something to add to that?
7: I just wanted to mention that while I haven't been uh, modding in the D&D community for a very long time, I come from the comics industry, which is incredibly hostile to to women, to non-binary folks, to anyone from any marginalized background, really transitioning into this community uh, as I leave the comics community is that it's overall a lot friendlier than <laughs> where I was coming from. Man, I really, really appreciate like every moderator in this group because it's a very different experience than <laughs> what I had before.
3: <laughs> I'm a numbers-based organism. I am entirely a mathematical creature. It's one thing I really love. And I just want to put this on a positive spin. I count Like Love Angry reactions on various posts... And it looks like we have a very large majority of people in this group who are good folks, but who also don't say much. They won't get in there and fight with someone that says, I hate women players, or I hate gay people. But they will absolutely put a like-love on every moderator comment, and they'll celebrate when that jerk gets booted out of the group. So the majority of folks are really good folks. It's just there's a vocal minority of jerks that... Have to be managed.
4: Uh, yeah, that's just, a, just a, kind of a follow up on that. Um, numbers wise, out of over 120,000 people on the ban list, those that have been completely booted for good and always, I think it's still hovering around like the 2000 mark. So, I mean, and that's going to include spammers before we had more filter questions in there. So, really, it is such a small percentage. It just tends to be a matter of noise. They the bad apples are the noisiest
0: mimsy what do you
6: have to add there's definitely a lot of times when a lot of the assigned female at birth and female presenting moderators feel that our opinions are not respected as much as those of our male moderators um and i know that there's times where by just the fact that i am non-binary that my responses are challenged or derailed. Sometimes they have no legitimate reason to challenge what I'm saying. So they'll just be like, yeah, well, you must be having this liberal leaning because you're trans. So we're going to attack that instead, which clearly isn't a factor that affects our non-trans and non-female presenting moderators.
5: June, did you have anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, I was just going to mention slightly as well, because coming from a country that's not the US, um, I know kind of we're in the minority as moderators but it's a little bit of a culture shock when you're dealing with a mainly American group because you've got to be very you've got to be a bit more in tune with you know what the political situation what the zeitgeist is and um, it's not impossible because we do get a lot of news coming out of the US but it's there are some nuances that I would have totally not picked up on um if it wasn't for really we have a mod chat to kind of discuss things and there are times where I find myself needing to ask a lot of what I would think are stupid questions because I just wouldn't know how to deal with it otherwise. The other big challenge I think I face is that because we have this group on Facebook and the moderating tools aren't awful but they definitely could be better
4: Yes, the moderator tools, they've improved by leaps and bounds in the last year and a half uh, since I was poised to join. We can now have screening questions so that we can present them with, okay, this is the link to the rules of the group. Do you agree? Do you agree not to harass people? And and also we ask them, okay, what made you join? You weren't able to mute them before. You could uh, kick or ban them, but that was about the extent of it. So like, it really has improved, but there's still so much more that Facebook has to do to make this more manageable. And especially when you're trying to, um, when it's a problem that really needs to be escalated beyond us, it's really troublesome how difficult it is to report harassment. I had to deal with a woman who was getting doxed by uh, a person I'm not even sure she ever met. She might've had interaction within the group. He dug through her old accounts and pulled uh, naked pictures of her, posted them in the group and posted her phone number and all that stuff. And that was just so brutal. And I couldn't report it to Facebook. I, I I ended taking screenshots of it because she wasn't online at the time. And I PM'd her with that so she could take it to the police. But I couldn't take it anywhere with Facebook. I tried every which way to do it. Uh, I kicked the person. Actually, I think they flounced after that. So I don't think that uh, we hadn't yet learned the the technique, which we call Juning, which allows us to, if somebody leaves, we can now track back um, through their posts and their history and and block them so that they won't be able to get back in. But uh, yeah, that was the most troublesome thing.
0: Tell me a little bit about your experiences as female and non-binary moderators. Uh, Definitely. Um,
6: When I first made my intro post, there were quite a few people that had problems with me becoming a mod. And they were saying some things that were maybe not repeatable on a podcast. And then sometimes they said things that were transphobic slurs that the other moderators legitimately did not know were slurs. So things like that are why we have such a diverse group of moderators, because we bring different experiences to the table. For example, I've had other mods... Like June, who's just sent me a message before to be like, hey, I saw this message. It seems problematic, but I don't know enough. Can you let me know? Um, and we do that with each other a lot. We'll bring messages to mod chat and be like, hey, can people give other insight on this? And I think that's really important. Um, and then I definitely think, as I said before, as a non binary moderator, that people do take some of the things that I say differently, usually not for the better. <laughs> But it's one of the things where it doesn't really matter how other people take you. It matters that you keep doing your best and you keep moving to be authentic and genuine and taking on those responsibilities as seriously as you can.
3: So the Experience IRL and the Experience Online are very different. So I have been playing and DMing since I was 11 years old in 1982. So we have come a long way since then. Really long way we are in so much better of a place and in real life in the past decade of D that i've played i've played with or or known exactly three individuals that i would not sit down at a table with that i just i simply dislike them that much they're just terrible human beings um that's three people out of I don't know, maybe a couple of two, three hundred people I played D&D with in that time. In, In real life, people are really pretty polite because most human beings are good people and they don't want to be ugly to somebody's face. But you give them the anonymity of being on the internet and it's Katie bar the door. Like some people that makes them go crazy. And they're very ugly on the internet. So they're very different experiences. So if you have a terrible experience with D&D in online spaces, please have hope because in real life it is so much better. Um, As far as anything different that we bring to the group, I I mean, we're women. We tell the same kinds of stories more or less. We use the same rules more or less. But what we are is we are... A group of people that sends a tacit signal to the women, to the non-binary players, to the LGBT plus folks out there that their voices are valued and respected in positions of authority in the community. And that's important
4: moderating as a woman. Um, I don't know if it's so much my perspective as a woman, but also as a parent introducing my kids to D&D, uh, I've tended to gravitate towards those that are introducing their kids to D&D and talking about that, that sometimes occurs. And I mean, that's kind of the role that I was put in at my local Adventurers League group because, uh for a good long stretch, I was one of the few female players in a group that was burgeoning, but I mean, we're still only running at a like 10 to 20% female rate. I don't know, aside from having issues with a few men, mansplaining uh, over that, I don't know. I I don't think that my perspective, how I, I apply myself as a moderator is all that different my lived experience kind of determines what interests me and what are my passion topics to an extent. But, um, there's the intersectionality of it all, isn't there? That it's not, we're not just coming to this as non-men, um, as women, but coming to it as a parent. Like I did a double honors degree in anthropology and Spanish and with the strength in archeology. span So, um, like I'm bringing that to the table. I'm bringing my experiences as an exchange student to the table, like understanding how people interacting online is shaped by their social and their cultural mores, not just like by their age and all that stuff. So yeah, we kind of all bring these different perspectives from our different experiences, and well, being a woman is a strong part of that until you're really confronted by that, like until it becomes a point of fighting or a point of contention, it doesn't really change how you are or how you interact.
0: Um, Kate, did you have anything to add to
7: that? Okay. So yeah, since I'm a new mod, I clearly haven't had the uh, same experiences that they have, at least as far as with this group. I have, however been dealing with misogyny in the nerd community for a very 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 long time. So it's not really anything new to me. I I feel like based on my personal experiences in dealing with this kind of thing, it's uh important to try not to let like the optics of like the shrieking Miss Andress Harpy like like, even though those may be my personal feelings, because, you know, having to fight for your existence in like a community is really exhausting. And sometimes it's easy to let your emotions get in the way. Um, If you do that, uh, it can be really hard for people to take you seriously. And that's really depressing, but the sad reality of uh, dealing with that kind of thing.
0: So there are a couple topics that people have been pinging Behold Her on on Twitter uh, that I was actually hoping with this group of women and non-binary individuals, if you could give me what your advice would be. Probably the two most common challenges that I'd say like maybe non-male gamers come up against are gatekeeping and mansplaining. How would you define these, first of all, and what would your advice be for dealing with this at the table or online?
3: Gatekeeping is a behavior where the gatekeeper seeks to intimidate or invalidate another player because of their lack of knowledge or familiarity with the system. Mansplaining is when a person, putatively male, uh, talks to someone who is not male in a way that indicates that the person that they're speaking to is inferior and educated when they actually are perfectly well-possessed of the facts needed at hand. And uh, the good news is that the way you deal with these problems, uh, step one is, uh, is similar caveat. The base uh, assumption here is like I've said before These behaviors happen much more often online than they do at a real game table. So don't be too concerned that you're going to go to a game table and get either of these. You're far more likely to see it online because when people become anonymous, they become jerks. So step one, ignore both of these things with the white hot intensity of a thousand suns and keep being awesome. Just pretend like that person doesn't exist. Step two, reach out to women's, queer, whatever, D&D groups. Uh, These can be a great on-ramp for new players or returning players to acculturate before they go mainstream. So it'll give them a little confidence, a little more broad-based knowledge. Tip three, for mansplainers in particular, try saying an equivalent of this. I know that already. It's insulting for you to explain it to me anyway. Leave me alone. If that doesn't solve it, turn to the DM and say, I am not listening to this person. I already know that. But you need to say something out loud, very calmly when it happens. With a caveat, if you do not feel that you are in a safe place, like if you're at a person's home and you don't really know the people, walk away. That's fine. Do whatever you need to do to be safe. But if you are in a game store or a place where you're not concerned uh about physical health and safety then um then just let them have it say i know that it's insulting for you to explain it to me anyway the worst mansplaining i have ever endured in my entire life was at gen con the year fourth edition came out so what was that two sure 2008 uh, my husband is snickering in the background because he he's he's heard this story. I was at Gen Con for the fourth edition previews with my very good friend, Michael Roderick. And uh, we were sitting around the table. We're super excited. Like I said, I've been playing D&D since 1982. I'm ancient. Like, I literally have socks older than most of these people I play D&D with some days. The guy sitting next to me, so I get my character sheet, and I'm like, I want the rogue or whatever. So I get my character sheet, and I'm kind of looking it over and and trying to make some sense of it because it's a new system. I hadn't seen it before, but you know, it's D and D strength, Dexcon intelligence, wisdom, (laughs) charisma. It's all the same. And so I'm looking at my character sheet and looking at it. And the guy next to me who could not have been, he was half my age. He was probably 21 looks at me and says, would you like me to explain to you what everything on the character sheet means? And Michael Roderick was convinced that I was going to go over the table, leap, rip this guy's throat out with my teeth. And he was going to have to bail me out of jail. Ah, and I said, no, I've got it. Thanks. That guy shut up so fast and so hard. He didn't even look at me for the rest of the game.
0: Oh, that's amazing advice. And I think step one, continuing being awesome is, for so many of life's challenges, is good advice. June, are these issues you've
5: ever had to deal with? Yeah, so I guess I came across something similar uh, also at a con, actually. Um wasn't gatekeeping so much. It was more mansplaining. But essentially, I'd... I had uh, I had a tier two character who was stuck in Barovia, so I had to go and make a new character just uh, just to participate in this con. So naturally they were level one, they didn't have any experience, and when I got to the table, uh, everyone else had maybe like level three, level four characters already, so I was the only one there with a level one. And the guy I was sitting next to was, I think he somehow equated the level of my character with the amount of experience that I have playing, and everything that my bard tried to do he was like oh you know you can do this and oh you know you can use your use your bardic inspiration I was like yeah and are you gonna tell me things that i already know or are you gonna actually tell me something useful and he just looked so shocked I was like you, you you don't need to assume that i don't know anything if i genuinely look like i'm struggling yeah you know go ahead and offer some input but I think some of it just needs to be that they need to learn how to read people in a sense. But I think the way I deal with it is I kind of just looked at him blankly and went, yeah, I already know that. Are you going to Are you going to tell me something I don't already know or not? And he just kind of shut up and took the hint. Kate, do you
0: have anything to add on how one deals with gatekeepers um, or mansplainers? Yeah, actually in my uh, 11 years of
7: comics retail, uh managing comic shops, that was something I experienced on a daily basis. Uh folks would walk in and they'd be like, Oh, do you even read comics? Or uh they'd assume that like I was just there because my dad worked there. So they'd be like, Oh, is your daddy in? And I'm like, Ugh. Excuse you. <laughs> so um <laughs> thankfully I have not experienced that much in D D because most of the time when I'm in a room with other players I'm the one that knows the most about the game. Uh, But I have learned, you know, in my experience, when I'm faced with mansplaining or gatekeeping or something like that, is to just speak clearly and with authority and, like, don't let them talk down to you because it's really frustrating. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, with any hobby where, uh, you know, women are considered to be, like the minority or any marginalized group, it's assumed that they're new or that they just kind of walked in because of their boyfriend or something like that. It's, it's something, I think people are getting over that slowly, you know, in, in this nerd culture uh, because representation of these hobbies is so much more available than, you know, it was like, even just like 10 years ago. So things are definitely changing a lot for the better, but there's still some jerks out there that will talk down to you and you just kind of shut them up. Let them know that you know what you're talking about.
0: I definitely feel like I saw some people giving advice that, well, you dazzle them with your knowledge and your mastery of the game. It does feel a little bit like you've got to be like a you you've, you've got to be extra.
7: Uh yeah, I totally understand that completely. And it's it's annoying cuz you feel like you have to constantly walk around with like a certificate of authenticity or something like that. Even if you don't know what you're talking about for sure like hundred percent. You have to be assertive anyway.
5: I just wanted to add a little anecdote that I had about um, the certificate of authenticity uh, statement that Kate said because in in one of the other Facebook groups we were having a discussion on, you know, just like can a wizard's uh, minor conjuration ability be used in like alchemical procedures and things like that, and um, it was going into a more rules as fun discussion. Um, just just the way the conversation went. But I found, weirdly, that a lot of the things that I was saying were just completely being ignored. And they were listening to, again, like the other male players. Um, And then at one point, the original poster piped up and said to me, "Um, I think this question is too hard for you. I think I need to ask a chemist DM. And I came back and I was like, actually, I have a degree in chemistry from Imperial College London. So, you know, <laughs> what, do you, what do you say to that kind of thing? Really?
8: Oh uh, th- this, was in, this was
5: in another group, not in the big one, but that was that was just embarrassing. I was like, do I do I need to like show you my credentials before you start listening to me? You know, I'm, I'm offering the same Oh my gosh!
8: Did they, uh,
5: what did they? Um, they they just like they left the conversation very quickly after that. They were like, "Oh, thanks thanks (laughs) for your feedback, guys," and then they stopped.
0: (laughs) Oh, they must have felt a fool. Um, rightly
5: so. I'm sorry they did (laughs) this. It was it was kind of amusing. Not gonna lie.
0: I'm wondering, have any of you? Uh, dealt with people explaining rules to you while you're behind the screen, like you're the DM?
6: My first game that I was a player of, I was in an all non binary group, and we had experienced players and new players in on the same group. Um, and we never really had anything that I would consider either gatekeeping or mansplaining, partially because we had no men. Um, now I've continued and I've been DMing for a year, or I guess nine months because I just finished a nine-month campaign with my first DM as one of my players, which was really exciting. But I've been in and DM'd about a dozen campaigns of various lengths since. And in our mixed group campaigns, compared to the non-binary only or non-binary and women only, I will say that there are some individuals who I've had as players who just constantly felt the need to jump in with rules only when it was me DMing or a woman player. There were guys who could seriously break the rules, forget how, like, physics or magic worked, and that was fine. But if someone who wasn't a guy made any comment, he would try to, like, pull out books. Usually my books, because I don't think he owns any. So that was quite an experience, too. And I think just sometimes you just have to set them down, and, like, especially for the DM, like, lay down the rules. Be like, this is what's acceptable. This is what isn't. And if they're not going to listen to that, then you just need to remove them. And if you're a player and you don't have that authority, then you really need to either talk with your DM or consider if you want to be in a party with the DM who allows some of these behaviors.
3: So, uh, like like was said previously, we, we've we talked a lot about the terrible things that have happened. 99% of the time, it's not like that. Like, 99% of the time, it's, it's really great. D&D is a great hobby, and we are absolutely privileged to be living in what I believe is not only the golden age of D&D, but is the golden age of women in D&D and of queer voices in D&D and of persons of color in D&D. So I think we're, we're at the forefront of a movement that's really going to revolutionize the way this game is played to the point where our children will ask questions about, wow, was it really like that back then? So... It is a great game and for someone who is new, who might be concerned, might be fearful about some of the issues we've raised, go play Adventurous League because Adventures League comes with a code of conduct and DMs generally follow it and stores generally follow it and cons generally follow it. And the content for Adventures League is certainly appropriate for uh, persons of all ages and is nice, good... Uh, content where there aren't the kind of terrible challenges that we hear sometimes with with people's homebrew. So A.L. is the way you go.
5: Yeah, I guess um, just adding from the perspective, the kind of the opposite perspective of Paige, I guess, because she's been playing uh, longer than I've been alive. But I guess coming to it, coming to D and D as a very very new player, when I hear the stories of, you know how hostile i guess uh the environment used to be to anyone who wasn't already a part of it it feels like you know i really joined at the right time and i you know i've watched a couple of podcasts and i was like hey this is this is a pretty fun game i should i should play with my friends and um it's it's quite interesting in a sense because i guess because i've come into it later I didn't experience as much of the hostility and sexism in my own home group as I would have in the wider community as it was, you know, like 10, 20 years ago. So for me, I think that's been... Like, we started off on the right foot. I I feel so lucky to have had that experience. And I think as much as we can do to make it so that other people get started off on the right foot as well, That would, that's what makes this group all worth it, really. That's
0: amazing. I I completely share that sentiment of feeling like I got into this hobby around the right time, where I definitely feel there is this culture shift uh, where the game is becoming more diverse and the community is becoming more diverse. And even if that doesn't mean 100% of the people are awesome all of the time, I really appreciate what all of you do as moderators, representing different groups uh, so that people see someone moderating who they can relate to, uh, but also being such a wonderful, like, welcoming community. Katrina Ho went from feeling unwelcome in the D&D world to championing the hobby across Singapore as part of the D&D Adventurers League. Whether she's behind the Dungeon Master screen, organizing events, recruiting and trading new DMs, or showcasing female players at all women tables at her local cons, Petrina is one heck of a community manager. She also is part of Singapore's Royal Nerd Theater and its Dice and Dynasty show. In her essay, Petrina shares her tips on creating welcoming and inclusive gaming environments.
8: My first experiences in gaming were with groups that were predominantly composed of the opposite sex. I enjoyed gaming, and had a blast playing with them. You know, going on raids, grinding characters to no end, going on loot runs. Uh, Till today, I still have these gaming sessions with them from time to time. Now, don't get me wrong, this is not to say that my gaming experiences have always been sunshine and rainbows. We've all heard the stories of harassment and others in the annals of gaming history. Many of you might think of it as just that, stories. However, I for one have many a story that I could share, all from those early gaming days. I've had a number of people rage quit a gaming session just because they found out there was a girl on the team. I've had people hurl vulgarities at me or even started teabagging my character just because I was female. I could go on and on and on, but one should never harp on the bad experiences. Each of these experiences teach us a lesson, and we should learn from them and improve. It was not until later in my gaming years that I decided to try gaming with a group that was largely made of females, just to try to escape some of this negativity. And at first, the biggest difference I felt was mainly in the dynamics. With the girls, cooperation and camaraderie ruled over competition and min-maxing. This seemed particularly so, and it's still particularly relevant with RPGs on computers. With tabletop RPGs though, like D&D, oddly enough, I get mixed feelings. As a dungeon master, I've run games for groups who have pushed the boundaries of role-playing, character relationships, and storytelling. In most, these aspects came to the forefront because of females or new male players in the groups. Yet, at the same time, and sometimes at the same table, I've run games where it was the group's sole intention to take down the boss in the fastest possible way in combat. And then, there are those in-between groups that emphasise good RP while making sure you actively contribute to the party as well as the narrative. This appeal of the social elements of RPG gaming have increased female interest in playing such games in the open, rather than wanting to shy away from the common stereotype that normally plagues these hobbies. I remember once responding to a random call for DMs a while ago thinking that I would be linked to my local game store to run games. But instead of getting a, a link to my game store, I ended up getting a message asking me to run a game. That was not actually too bad. Except for the postscript that came with the message. I don't just let anyone DM, you know. I remember thinking to myself, Wait, what? Is this an audition? How is this even a thing? But therein lies the problem. How can we break this mold and avoid being seen as gamer pariahs? How can we be an equal party to such a large community? I promised myself that no one else would have to experience what I had to. So, what lessons did I learn? Tip 1. Getting and giving a great gaming experience. Creating a safe environment for play cannot be stressed enough. Having been on the receiving end of some of these harassments, the gut reaction is to link that episode to the gaming experience. Now, While small groups of like-minded individuals are great as starting points for those looking to try RPGs for the first time, in my opinion, This might not be sustainable in the long term. Games are meant to be social endeavors, and experiences are generally incomplete without this interaction. Tip 2 Respecting Everyone. When you start getting into social groups and communities that were initially set up to provide a safe haven for targeted or minority groups, it is very easy to fall into any one of the five geek social fallacies. It is important that a conscious effort is made to avoid this. I could go on and on and on about these fallacies, but it is suffice to say that the core consideration is that one respects everyone as an individual and respecting their personal boundaries. This is why Rule 0 is always don't be a dick. Tip 3. Having allies and community champions. Now for the record, not all gamer guys are jerks or dicks. Having vocal and impactful allies within a community is important. Take DDALSG for example. The community champions like John T, John K, Jason K among many many others, have been extremely supportive of the females within our community. They have strongly advocated for more female DMs, not because there is a gender gap, but because They were good at it. They've encouraged me and many others to push our own personal boundaries, and they have allowed us to be more confident when playing, DMing, and even just standing up for ourselves. While many in DDALSG have been champions and allies for me, it is important that all this is paid forward. We as females need to step up and play an active role in changing these stereotypes. We need to be able to walk the talk, push our own boundaries, be advocates for fair play and inclusivity. Speaking of boundaries, John T. has for ages been bugging me to run an all-female show table as an example that girls can DAD. Guess what? I finally swallowed some insecurities and I'm finally getting on with it. I'm running an all-girls show table at a local D&D convention this month. I'm crossing my fingers and my toes that everything goes well. So, let me leave you with this final thought. I would like to quote Gandhi. You must be the change you wish to see in this world, unquote. And to see this change, we must act.
0: Thank you, Petrina, Paige, Anne, Mimsy, Kate, June, Brenna, and Darcy for sharing your stories with Behold Her. We'll be back in July celebrating the women behind Dungeons & Dragons. Does the name Kate Welch ring a bell? These women help design our favorite adventures, create the art that brings it to life, and so much more. Can't wait to see you then.